everyone. So glad to have you with us this week. We are back again, another relationships episode. And this week we have my favorite young couple. Um, I'm a little biased. It's my daughter and son-in-law, my daughter, Sierra, and her husband, the Crook Shankins. And they're going to be discussing their um, partnership, their experience in marriage so far today on the field podcast. So a little different look than you got from Brady and I last week in our, um, you know, almost 30 years together. And we thought this would be a good lens and shout out. If you love this episode, which you will shout out to our middle daughter, Kylie, because this was her idea. And I promise I'd give her props for that. So, um, Tim and Sierra, thanks so much for being with us today. I'm going to share, um, a little history here. So, and I couldn't do math. So it's good that Sierra looked over the show notes because I had them together shorter amount of time because I don't know where time goes, but Sierra and Tim have been together as a couple um, for three years and three months. They have been married for two years and eight months. And that special day was on March 10th, 2019. Um, They are two of the emotionally healthiest 20 somethings you will ever meet. Um, so I can't wait for you to hear their nuggets of wisdom and what they have to offer because Brady and I kind of marvel. And like I said, I know we're biased, but I'm, I'm telling you all they, they've got their stuff together. Um, so Sierra and this, these character traits are like Brady and I's last week in context with the relationship. Um, Sierra is playful, tender, grounded, optimism, and values driven. Tim is thoughtful sensitive, creative, and ambitious. Um, For more information on Sierra and Tim, please see the show notes, the blog on our podcast website, embracinglayers.com. They're going to have a sources page on there. So any sources that we talk about our site today, you can reference that as well. Um, Follow us on Instagram at Embracing Layers. We'll give you links and updates to all these things throughout the week as we're promoting the episode. And so let's get started. Thanks for joining me today. Y'all have had a busy uh, week here. Yeah, happy to be here. <laughs> um, Sierra and Tim have gone through a lot of transitions lately. They have moved from California to the state of Washington. And ever since they've gotten there, they've started new jobs. They've been looking at houses. It, it's been a busy time. So I'm glad they could scratch out the time. Their weekend is on Tuesday and Wednesday because of the kind of work they're in. So I'm glad that they were able to take a little time with me today. Um, how are y'all doing? You feeling excited, rested, wiped out? Um, I think it's interesting. I think when we first got here, it life, you know, there's a huge transition and then we were reveling in how simple life was starting to feel. Yeah. And then recently we're like, looking to buy a home. So there's been a lot of details, things coming up the last two weekends. So we try to do a good balance this weekend of play and details, but in all of it, we talked about just kind of, uh, embracing the cycle of like, we're in 
fall season and winter mm-hmm. and trying to prepare to like emotionally, spiritually hibernate a little bit after some huge transitions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, so we're trying to find that balance right now of like taking care of details of a huge move and transitions and exciting things, but then also still playing and resting. So that's what this weekend has been. Good. Just that. You're good with that, Tim? Yeah, all <laughs> All right. So this goes nicely, segues nicely in. And I think this is really important to talk about in all partnerships, but especially when you're newly married. And it's how to prioritize self-care in your life and what that looks like for each person. And I think for many young couples, the excitement of getting married and we love each other and we want to be together all the time. And you, because you're so excited to be together, you kind of don't necessarily prioritize the self-care early on until you're like, oh my gosh, this is driving me crazy. If I don't get five minutes to myself, I'm going to cry. But you don't want to make your partner feel bad because you love them so much. So talk about that and how you guys have worked that out. So I, the thing that, uh, comes up for me. And with this question, I think is at the beginning of our relationship, I remember we, and luckily caveat of just generally everything we're going to say is not prescriptive. So before I even dive into this, it's like (laughs) our experiences, we've been afforded a lot of privilege and tools and resources Um, and so our experience, there might be helpful things, but also we understand that not everyone has the, the opportunity to have gone through what we've gone through and some people have more and some people have less. So just our our asterisk on like, what we're going to talk about, we've been really privileged, um, and, and given a lot of tools and not everyone has those tools and that's okay. Um, but hopefully something, you know, some part of our experiences resonates with everyone, but I think going into the relationship, both of us had individually asked a lot about what we needed for self-care and rest and, um, taking care of like our emotional health. We'd Mm -hmm. been on pretty significant journeys individually before meeting even really, um, and before dating. And even so, um, it was still like needed to really be talked about and dived into. But when, because of those personal journeys, we, at the beginning of our relationship really started to talk a lot about what rest and self-care looked like for one another, um, for ourselves personally, for, uh, each other and really defining those needs even further, um, at the beginning of our relationship. So I think I remember like sitting down and us driving somewhere and talking about like both of us are each of our love languages, like one of the top ones is quality time. Mm. But for Tim, when you say quality time, he like, he means quality. Like if it's a good two minute conversation, awesome. Like that is quality time for me. I meant quantity time <laughs> Like we could spend, you know, an entire evening together and then go into the weekend, going into the weekend. And he could, you know, maybe ask for some time to himself or something or ask to schedule something else with somebody else. And I would be like, but we haven't gotten any time together. Um, And so it was, I think, really us defining for ourselves and each other, like, what do you mean by quality time? Um, What do you mean by alone time? What do you mean by? 
and really asking that of ourselves as well. Like, what mm-hmm. do I actually need here um, to try to understand the partner better? Mm-hmm. And then that way, support them when needs came up and not taking it personally. So when Tim was like, I need alone time. And it actually has nothing to do with you, Sierra. It has nothing to do with how I feel about you, how much time I want to spend with you and kind of trying to hash that out and dig into what self-care meant for each of us so that I could hear him say, I need alone time, or that was enough time for me. And he wouldn't, I wouldn't take that personally as like, it's not that Tim doesn't want to spend time with me. He just needs alone time or vice versa. When I was like, I'm craving more time. Tim understood that's not Sierra, not like not getting enough from me. That's just her being a quantity time person. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's what comes up. And this is really us asking for ourselves and each other, like digging into those needs and communicating about them so that a sense of empathy and understanding could happen. So that when the other person asked for self-care moments, it was like, yeah, you go, go for it. That's awesome. I like, or I understand, or like, that actually hurts my feelings a little bit. Can we talk about it a little bit more? Mm-hmm. And just having really like, clear communication there yeah, um, yeah. is kind of how we started off early on and then continued. And it changes in every season. Self care mm-hmm. is like totally different for us this season than it has last season. So just keeping that line of communication open and yeah, communicating yeah. those needs. Yeah. And I think like one undergirding principle inside of that is some of the language that we've adapted in listening to your inner voice and understanding internal self narratives where Mm -hmm. not always, but often we kind of know what's good for us or we know what's even sometimes intuitively might be good for our partner since we're in such close physical and emotional proximity that as Sierra was mentioning, having the wherewithal to first be asking yourself, you know, what do I want? What do I need? Um, what do I believe about myself? What, what am I worth even in regards to self-care as an example? So kind of as an expansion of understanding your internal self narratives, whatever you believe about yourself and then bilaterally your partner, um, your practice of self-care will, in, in my, in our experience and my experience will, will expand from that. So I think in up, up in this really, in this relationship at this point, it's been a lot of taking the um, it's almost transcending time, but taking the wherewithal to understand internal self narratives um, to gauge what do we need. And then that's yeah, like yeah. awesome, you know, of for both doing that simultaneously in our way that I can surely empathize with a way that might be different. Um, but I understand and respect and appreciate anyone, but specifically my like life partner mm-hmm. um, that wants good for themselves and knows and hears from themselves what they need. Um, it makes the externally facing self-care practice make a lot more sense in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Well, and I think too, I mean, when you're young, when you haven't had a partner before, sometimes you've got to kind of feel your way through it as you come together because you didn't know that you needed that thing because you never had to make a decision about it before. So talk about that a little bit. Yeah, well, I think uh, that was a huge part, specifically for me, of, and I think we talked early on in our relationship, this idea of like, a life partner, a supportive, healthy life partner is this amazing person that also is 
kind of like a mirror reflecting back on you Mm -hmm. because you've been walking through life on your own at that point. I mean, I've been on teams and I have family, but it's different. It's a Mm -hmm. a different kind of level of intimacy and communication and things like that, that it was all of a sudden like, well, I'm used to just doing what I want to do. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have to tell anybody about it. Mm-hmm. And I, and, and I don't need to, like, I'm not scheduling with anyone. I don't need to communicate why I need those things to anyone. I don't even always need to ask myself why I need those things. Mm-hmm. I just do them. Yeah. And it all of a sudden became this really cool and good process of like heightened self-awareness because all of a sudden it was like, well, I need this thing. And I feel this thing. Uh, and now I have this person I'm doing life with that I want to communicate to them what it is I need and, and want um, mm-hmm. because I love them and I care about them. But my decisions now affect them too. Yeah. And so I think it, it's, it wasn't an obligation thing by any means, or it wasn't this weird, like, I have to tell Tim what I need. But it was more yeah. this, like, I love this person. So when I need something... Uh, that affects them or time we spend together or how I'm, you know, behaving or feeling, I want to be able to communicate it to them. But that means I have to sit down and really ask myself those things. So I think um, it was this really interesting process of like being in this intimate partnership is almost like a, you learn so much about yourself. And in my experience, I learned so much about myself because it was like a mirror reflected back of, I kind of had to break down all this subconscious competence I had about myself. Like mm-hmm. I knew what I needed when and why, sure. maybe, but I hadn't tried to articulate it before. So yeah. it was now this practice of articulating it, which made me understand myself so much more as well. Yeah. Um, but in order to kind of communicate that to my partner. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's well said. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Thank you for that. And you guys are really good at this. Um, and I talk, I kind of joke a lot about the fact that not really joke, but dad and I really didn't know what this meant until like a year, a year and a half ago. And Sierra can attest to that. Um, but confidently setting boundaries. And I think this is an interesting one too, within the relationship, within the marriage and ties into the self-care, but also within families, because you two came from very different family dynamics. I mean, Tim, inherited whether he wanted them or not and god bless him he loves them well he inherited two sisters <laughs> who love this sister very much and they were willing to share him but they're not exactly scooting over to the side so um so that was very different i mean tim grew up with a brother who's is two boys you know brother five years older different dynamic different kinds of relationships so so talk about that piece but just the boundaries in general of you know, just how you living together and learning, you know, those things, what's okay, what's not okay and communicating that. Yeah. I think the conversation around boundaries is absolutely essential and can be so earth shattering. Um, the thought that there are limitations that certain people get into in terms of access to one another's life. And then when Sierra and I were considering this question, something that I thought was maybe a more uh, poignant way to describe our experience in marriage and in partnership is substituting the concept of boundaries, which communicates no, don't enter mm-hmm. with the idea of guideposts, which is mm-hmm. here's how to navigate. Yeah. And this is very idyllic in that there are relationships and partnerships and marriages where maybe this doesn't apply because of 
varying con- context, but yeah. thankfully in our, in our relationship, I almost want to say that there are no boundaries, but there are certainly guideposts. Mm. You're walking a cliff perimeter and you know, obviously I shouldn't cross that point. It's mm-hmm. depth and all that, but there are guideposts directing how to detour or how to navigate something that could be harmful to both one or the other. Sure. And I think in terms of partnership articulation about boundaries is why guideposts is such an important distinction for me is in the pursuit of full, whole, holistic vulnerability um, with my life partner. The ideal is that there is no place that Sierra could not go with me. Mm -hmm. And so I would rather frame that even the conversation when it comes to like between Sierra and myself, um, that creating guideposts is such a strong place to start. Mm. Um, inevitably if we start life and go through life. And then when Sierra and I met coming to the table with a lot of baggage and just different experiences, not even necessarily negative things, but some of that takes decoding and takes some careful treading and it's different terrain. And so how I would articulate the ideal um, part of what we've experienced is that there is no place that I would want a boundary to exist between Sierra and I in the pursuit of full and holistic and complete vulnerability. Our mentality seems to have been more around creating guideposts that help determine ways to navigate baggage and ways to navigate experiences and even mm-hmm. cultural differences and being from different parts of the country and yeah. etc. Um, it just seems that uh, framing that properly really helps set a strong precedent that the point is not to say no, it's to say, here's how that, that's a way to, to continue progress and growth. And I think, yeah, to add on, just to add on to that, in that sense, early on, the way we navigated that, the analogy that I think we talked about, but then I had some really awesome people um, that we learned from, like, kind of reiterate for us was the idea of we're both humans who have navigated this world. So we walked in with wounds and Mm -hmm guideposts or, or healthy, you know, boundaries or the way that we operated with one another was saying like, I have these wounds and you have these wounds. So let's a not totally ignore them. We need, let's bandage those because Mm -hmm. I don't want to grab your arm. If, if you have a wound on your arm, Tim, it's not, don't ever touch my arm. It's Mm -hmm. know where this is. Let's put a bandage around it. Uh, don't try not to grab it hard because autumn, like if you're a human and you're doing life with someone, you're going to accidentally poke those wounds, but it was yeah. communicating where those wounds were so that it's, we put a bandage on it. We protect it. I know not to poke it or grab hard on it. And, and also conversely that we don't just tiptoe around it, that we just never talk about it or only heed to it. And so it's this really the analogy that we talked early on about is like, we're going to have wounds and I'm actually accidentally going to poke yours and you're going to poke mine. So when that happens, let's communicate about it. Let's put a bandage on it. That way I know that wounds there and I'm going to do my best not to poke it, not to grab, not to grab hard on it, to keep it protected because I care about you. And so navigating that way, um, that way when, you know, 
there's things that do come up. I know about it. I know that that's a trigger point and that's okay. We're going to have those. Um, but I'm not being reckless about it. And, and you can feel safe knowing I'm not going to grab that wound or poke it or on purpose or, or further any damage there. And so I think that's kind of the, the analogy that's been helpful for us in life is like, I'm vulnerable. You're vulnerable. We're these like squishy, uh, like exposed humans with wounding, but let me know where your wounds are and I'll let you know where mine are. And, and I trust you to tread lightly and you trust me to tread lightly because we care about one another, but we can also go there with each other. Um, so that's been helpful for us. And I think, and then that's, that's what it's looked like between the two of us Mm -hmm. regarding family. I think, well, Kylie and Courtney, if you're listening to this, Tim does love you (laughs) so much. Sees you as sisters. So no worries there. Um, But I think from my perspective, uh, what we've just done really, I think well, and, and how we've, and it's been hard sometimes and easy sometimes, but how we've navigated it is like whoever's family it is, we are uh, letting them take the lead on the boundaries that do need to be set that don't need to be set how they want to operate. Um, because I think ultimately it's, it's what the person whose family maybe we're, we're spending time with or interacting with what they need. Um, and me as a partner, I'm just there to support what they need. Um, and I think early on it's, it was the idea of like, it's not, my job, if there's boundaries that do need to be set or whatever, it's not my job to protect on Tim's behalf or him to protect me on my behalf. We've been Mm -hmm. doing this much longer than the other. It's not my job to get like, see, give advice and say like, I think we should do it this way with your family or your friends or whatever. Um, but it, and it's not my job or, and it is my job to communicate if there's something that I need regarding those relationships mm-hmm. um, and working together to get that met and have me communicate it. But that's my responsibility. He's not my representative. Yeah. Um, and just really respecting and honoring the way that the person whose relationship it is, as we were like bringing lives together um, needed to navigate and then going from there. And what's been cool is like now Tim with like my sister's, or some of Tim's friends, like there's starting to be relationships that are not independent of one another because they never will be. But like Tim yeah. talks to Kylie and Courtney on his own now. Right. Or like Drew, Tim's best friend, will reach out to me on his own now. But because it was from this starting place of really healthy sense of um, following the lead of the other, of the relationship that that was, what that needed to look like, and then going from there. Yeah. 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 And then I think even our experience finally, I think is the, the realization of the multiple social layers that just inherently exist and having the proverbial lens to identify them where there are some people that Sierra and I share space with that we don't want to share space with (laughs) or seek to no longer at some point. And I don't know what part of, our experiences would tell us otherwise, but there's such, I just infrequently the opportunity to say no or the permission to say no. Mm -hmm. And especially inside of a partnership where if Sierra and I are together, it feels so simple and so um, very just like healthily navigatable. And I guess the ability to recognize the multiple layers that that person gets this much access point 
that person gets that this much and then that person gets none. And that's something that that outermost layer that would basically get no access. That boundary is such a, such an important one because it, it creates the kind of cultivating space where our partnership, which is what truly matters to myself. And then, you know, it's a Sierra and that in her way, you can't have weeds in a, in a garden. So you put up a fence, yeah. you but different, you know, different um, parts of the, the, the garden need their own lane and they can still be in the same garden. So it's boundaries are always nuanced and complex and layered yeah. and as far as we've experienced. And some people just have to be out and they're not welcome. Yeah. And that's something that I think we are learning currently and have acted on in some regards, but are continuing to understand how to do just more and more and more because it's very easy to set guideposts with Sierra and myself. I think that's something sure. we feel strong in, but for some reason saying no and putting boundary to the people who frankly don't matter to us um, is still challenging. So I think there's also just the complexity and layers that go into boundaries that it's something that automatically would affect our partnership. Yeah. yeah. And well, I, Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, just to kind of add on to that a little bit in a different lane, it was also learning that certain people were allowed into certain layers of my life. And that was awesome, but that didn't automatically mean they were allowed in certain, to certain layers of Tim's life. Yeah. yeah. I think early on it was learning sure. because we have guideposts. Great. Doesn't mean that I then share boundary, boundarylessly about Tim with people that I, I feel more intimate to. So some of my right. best friends, maybe my family, and learning real, I think maybe after like some hard learns mm-hmm. that uh, just because Tim shares something with me doesn't mean then all my people get to know and vice versa. Right. And navigating the ways in which I could talk about myself without having to talk about Tim and just what that meant for our trust and intimacy that like I was never sharing anything about Tim that wasn't mine mm-hmm. which was never coming off maliciously I was never sure. being that maliciously but it was like this is the person I spend the most time with and I care about yeah. so if they're struggling with something or something's happening to them I want to talk it through with my people but learning that there did need to be like t- Tim needed a boundary there even if I didn't and that was okay yeah um of him to ask of me, um, and vice versa. So I Mm -hmm. think that was important too. learning that like I boundaries with me, with my best friends look one way and, but sharing about Tim with them needs to be different, um, based on what he needs, um, and what feels honoring to him. So, yeah, that's a really good point and can be a tricky one because it's just so natural and you, you have to really stop and think about that and have those discussions about that. Um, especially, I mean, dad and I have had, have different ways of doing that. We've had, we had to learn that because I mean, I'm kind of an open book as you both know. And you know, for where's dad's like, Whoa, 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 you know, I love Steph, but that's not hers to know. Steph is my best friend. Um, and you know, so really good point on that. I really like that. Thank you. Okay, you guys know a lot about this. You've gotten a lot of practice the last couple of years. Taking care of our emotional health as much as our physical health because friends, we all know they're connected. Um, yeah, I think Melissa just alluded to it perfectly where the experience I've had that I'm happy to share more specifically about, but it's 
the way I understand it is that physical health, emotional health, mental health, these chambers, however many you have on your tool belt, mm-hmm. they're equilibrium where they're so interconnected that though you can describe maybe your mental experience very differently than your physical one um, or emotional one from any other category, they're obviously so tethered that you can't just have emotional health without the consideration of physical or mental. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from this past season where part of our transition was a response or was definitely prompted by some somatic pain I experienced that was from emotional stress, mm-hmm. um, that is still something I'm managing currently that is, was, um, up to that point, such I never novelty. I never experienced something like that for myself. Yeah. Um, obviously physical health, um, managing physical health and emotional health became really apparent to me that they're necessary and that they're very, very tied together. Something I think I knew and had seen aspects of, but after having some serious somatic pain from explicitly emotional and mental stress, um, it's just very clear to me that that, that physical health, you know, in my, in, in my circumstance, physical health was such a huge remedy to emotional mental stress that needed to be offset. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's challenging because in our culture, we found a way to quantify and digitize and codify physical health. So I can yeah. count my weight loss or my calories or my weight lift or whatever, but it's far more challenging to identify success points in mental, emotional health. It's harder to take and make it objective. So I see how that's so challenging. And I think talking about that is, is something that I still don't know if I could quite quantify. And I'm not even sure if that's quite the point either, but, um, I know that, you know, for me, it's something I'm trying to stoke in terms of how to do both well, or all the, the, the chambers of health. Well, is just continuing to stoke inner sense of curiosity, asking why you feel things and then getting curious about them. And I'm in this experience where I've been working through still somatic pain, the constant uh, question asking, not in a way to become you know paralyzed by it, but I'm just so curious. I don't understand why yeah. when one part of my life is having this experience, why it might affect something that would otherwise appear um, untethered. So yeah, I think I'm learning, and that applies in our partnership, but just as an individual, is that the greatest driving force of good health, I think, is curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, if you wonder about your brain and you wonder about your proverbial heart, and you wonder about your body and organs, um, if you're truly curious about them, you'll just want to understand how to maximize and get the most and yeah. enjoy them. So. Um, it's such an interesting place to think and, and, and sit about, especially applying to a partnership. But at the end of the day, or really at the beginning of the day, it should start with a place of curiosity. Yeah. And I think, you know, you guys have had, you know, walk this out. And I think it's one of those things that you don't really think a lot about until it's, it's happening to you. I know that was the case for me. It was like, oh yeah, I kind of know that. And then all of a sudden you're sitting in front of a doctor and they're running all these tests and they're telling you to, nothing's physically wrong with you, but, but you're like, yeah, but my heart is racing, (laughs) but you know, but you know, and, uh, but this is happening to me. And, um, and just, you know, that realization that if you do not process all that's going on and, you know, emotionally and mentally in a way that works itself out, that your body will scream at you physically. And, 
And, you know, that's just, and, and I think it's going to be interesting to see because one of my biggest things, complaints about Western medicine is this should all be connected. My general practitioner and my therapist and my dietitian should be in one relationship together and should all be talking about what's happening because, oh, this happened, she had this trauma. Okay. Well, what can we feed her right now? And how can we help her walk this out so it doesn't make her blood pressure go up? I mean, and that that doesn't happen because unfortunately, we've monetized the heck out of physical medicine. And so I think it's going to be a real challenge to see, but that's that is, in my opinion, in my experience, the conversations that should be happening and the changes we should see. Sierra, did you have anything on that? Oh, I was just gonna say, I think. I think this came up in our relationship the most for me inside of taking care of emotional health. I kind of what I alluded to earlier, but it was again, this moment of like having this person who I cared about a ton Mm -hmm. start to be affected by how I was feeling or if I was feeling emotions and feeling and, and caring about that enough to say like, I should probably figure out how I'm doing to be able to communicate that to them and myself and not just project project all over the person I love most in the world who's closest to me when I do have stuff come up. So I think it's out of the context of relationship for us. It's, it's been trying that journey of like, I care about this person enough that when something I'm experiencing something, they're going to notice, even if it doesn't directly affect them. So how can I be familiar enough with it to be able to communicate them out of a place of care um, and vice versa and be able to communicate what I need rather than it just being this thing that's that can easily turn into just projecting all over the person close to you, closest to you and in an effort not to that getting really prioritizing, being really familiar with what emotional health looks like for me as a way to also be clear and kind to Tim. So That's a really great point because I think in partnerships, it's really easy to come home at the end of a work day, whenever that is, and come in and just unload on your partner because, you know, you, you wouldn't do that to the person that you're working with or, you know, or and maybe a lot of other relationships, but they're your partner. So you're just, and then there's with no thought of the fact of what's this going to do to them? How are they going to take this on? I mean, they, 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 they care about me more than anyone else. And so that's a really good point about just that realization. And again, especially in a relationship. And I would say there's a lot of relationships that are in the years that we are, that people are still doing that. Dad and I did that for a lot of years without really thinking through the context of that. We now have the language to say, this was really hard today. You have the bandwidth for that mm-hmm. rather than just coming home and blew it. But it took us a long time to get there and you guys are there now. So way ahead of us. So mm-hmm. good job. How can we support, how do you support each other in living unapologetically? Another thing you've gotten a lot of practice in, in that whole, like, I don't need to say sorry for that. This, you know, so talk about that because you, you really put for, you know, for three years together, you've had to walk out some stuff early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think um, what comes up for me here is the idea that when I had kind of when I decided and Tim decided that we wanted to be life partners, um, it was recognizing. And I think you do this, whether you recognize it or not, when you kind of make this decision that I am saying that I love all of the Tims that you have been, 
mm-hmm. all the Tims you currently are, all the Tims you will be, um, and embracing the other and all the iterations of themselves that yeah. are to come. Um, because I think for us, something that we fell in love with for in one another was the fact that we were not either of us stagnant people that we did value growth. So it was also recognizing like Tim is not the same Tim that he was when we got married two and a half years ago. I'm not the same Sierra and Tim won't be the same Tim and I won't be the same Sierra 10 years from now. Hopefully that's what we love about each other. Like that's the whole point of doing life is this evolving growth, like embracing an evolving growing person and not, uh, trying to hold and force someone to be who they were in the exact moment that you met them and, and understanding that my job is not to control you, um, or hold tight to you or help you stay the same. It's to embrace whoever it is you are, you are going to become. Um, and that's the beautiful part, but it means it will be different. And so I think, um, the idea that with that, it's then trusting the other person enough to trust themselves and become who they're supposed mm-hmm. to be instead of trying to manipulate and control them into becoming who you want them to be. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, in, in our relationship, um, we've had a lot of moments where recently, uh, we left, both left a community that, that was no longer working for us. We moved, I quit a job that was really unhealthy and toxic for me. And in that journey, for three years, Tim probably knew I should quit that job. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also knew that I had to be the one to come to that under my own terms, under my own conclusions, with my own reasoning. And so he did a really good job of just supporting and holding space for me while I did that because he knew even if he told me to do it, it wouldn't be the same. I had to be the one to come to that. And there's been instances where it's been reversed for both of us, but it's mm-hmm. the understanding of each one of us trusting the other enough I always know if Tim's processing something, I trust him that he knows himself enough that he'll get there, that he'll get where he needs to land and whatever he lands on. I trust that that's where he needs to be. And so I think it's the idea of like embracing the other person rather than trying to control or hold tight Mm -hmm. um, and trusting them enough to trust themselves um, Mm -hmm. and trusting yourself enough to trust yourself um, in that process. And so I think that's what it's looked like in our relationship that it's, it's the understanding of, I trust him that he'll get where he needs to go. So it's not my job to control that. Mm -hmm. And so he can hopefully feel embraced enough to, to live out what it looks like for him, um, to be himself here and what he needs. Yeah. 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 And it's, if, if it was possible to take a step outside of your, yourself, it's funny Mm -hmm. how many, it's funny how many times I see that I have, frankly, really illogical expectations of so many things of myself, <laughs> of my partner, of my work. But I, just that's a myriad of things that make no sense. Ultimately, how I got to the conclusion that I should expect that thing to be that way, and that's just a reflection of life. That sometimes things just it's just bigger than what we can necessarily comprehend. Yeah. So definitely how that how that applies to a partner that I would hope that in a partnership that a person would never have to apologize for being a certain way. Um, kind of Sierra, Sierra mentioned like it, through a certain, cer- through a certain threshold of expectations and behavior, that's, that seemed baseline, but 
yeah, it's just, it's so interesting how you, we create and forge expectations for how it should go. Yeah. When it doesn't look the way that you thought it was supposed to, how, how much that alarmed our brain and our perception of things. And in our relationship, I'm really happy with how I did not fall to love Sierra because she played volleyball or because she, you know, looked a certain way or all things that are very palpable to change. Mm -hmm. Um, And I felt that way from her that just because I played volleyball or I like coffee or whatever it is that Mm -hmm. um, exists more externally, the, I've never felt pressure or expectation. And I hope that I've never um, elicited that expectation. That is frankly, very illogical and they need to be a certain kind of way. There's a million, almost probably an infinite amount of ways Sierra could be that are lovely. And there's a million ways I can be that are so lovely mm-hmm. and letting go of the illogical idea that there's one path is just asinine. It's yeah. um, understandable. We want to create yeah. a clear, a clear path of direction and chronology, but it's just so silly that we could, we could play God in that regard and, and, and forge a path for not, we can't even do it for ourselves. So to forge a path for another person is just sometimes really silly. So I think that supporting one another in order to live unapologetically is starting at the baseline that we, as Sarah kind of talked about, it's just really managing expectations that yes, I expect there are baseline things in a partnership that are necessary and healthy. But beyond that, it's like you get to evolve and be as Sarah said, the many, many, many iterations and all of them sound pretty good to me. So it's it starts from the, the framework of just managing the expectations. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. All right. The importance of setting and coming back to your why in your everything you do. And I mean that in, in this in a relational context. Like, for example, dad and I's why was we knew early on we were safe with each other, we were for each other, and that we wanted to forge a partnership it looked different than the others that had been modeled to us. And that was really our foundation. So no matter what bumps in the road we hit, that was our why that was, you know, we could always come back to that to, to, to give us, you know, get us through different factions and things that we went through. So talk to me about your why in your relationship, what grounds you that foundation and talk about that. Yeah. So there was a book that we could put in the show, the show notes that would be okay. fantastic. Okay. It involves more around sexuality, but mm. it's really applicable. It's very principle-based where you could substitute sexuality with just partner mm-hmm. qualities. Yeah. yeah. It's a really, really well done book. So it's by Margaret Farley. She is a former, what would be the word? None. Yeah. Sister. Mm. None. None. Um, also Yale professor. Yale, yeah, yeah, really, oh, really but she's done a real, uh, fantastic job um, taking academic concepts and making them really doable. But yeah. the book is called Just Love. And okay. in that book, there are, it's basically centered around the idea that the idea of just, meaning like justice-based love. Mm. And the idea that uh, from her perspective, uh, a, a loving relationship can exist unless it's consensual and mutual, empowering. And she has these pillars that mm. um, are framework for if a relationship fulfills, I believe it's seven traits or seven qualities that it's ethically, 
you know, from her ethical framework, she is an ethicist. So from her ethical framework, I'd say justice, love. So it's a really good book. It's something that I read and I think Sierra read probably shortly after because it's just such an intriguing read for the time. But I thought that the question of coming back to your why is so important because from our experience, something like just love is a large scale statement on a why. It's a statement about consensuality and mutuality and empowerment. These things that are more human dignity based that mm. generally apply to most to to a large subset of people yeah but then making a distinguishment between integrating something like just love ethics from like that that uh, large-scale principle applies to many but what's our personal why or our personal values and so i think sierra can definitely talk about it better than i could but i think it's important to start if we were to explain the importance of setting coming back to your why is understanding that the finding the finding your why concept mm-hmm. um, it, it's so important to have a both it might be a large scale ethic or whatever word you want to use in there that's less that's more easy to use in a day to day experience mm-hmm. but then personal values that specifically apply to your partnership mm-hmm. and that is something that we've been heavily relying on. And when we created those that Sierra could definitely share, um, really, really strongly impacted a lot of big decisions that we just made months ago Yeah, and, and have been making for a while, but to have some language around that has been really integral. Yeah. 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 So to go into that a little bit more, I think we started out what Tim was describing on the large scale, like early on in our relationship, working with the just love ethics Um, And then I think those were really like a really healthy generalization to steer us into the more personal process of finding values within our relationship. And so it was last January, actually, we were at a kind of a, a threshold of knowing we were ready to make some big decisions. We were like just under two years of marriage at this point. We were it was the time was seemingly right to make transitions, but kind of needed to get on the same page of we hadn't made this big of decision together before that would have focused both of us in our partnership. Yeah. So kind of we've done enough values work independently of knowing personal values that decided it was a good time to land on shared values Mm -hmm. as a couple where it was like, yes, I value these things independently, but also there's things that we're going after together um, that we can land on language for and help us make decisions through. And it really was just asking probably like everyone in the pandemic in the midst of it, like, what do we want our lives to look like? Mm -hmm. We're at a point where things are ending and that that's good. And we can literally do anything from here on out that we want, but what do we want our life together, together to look like? And so it was a process of us sitting down and really kind of hashing that out and dreaming about ideal and talking about what do we want to build together? And we landed on Technically, we landed on five shared values, but you can't remember anything over three. So now the other <laughs> two that were less important have been forgotten <laughs> and we operate from three. But the three that we we landed on after a long process together um, was good garden, mm. simple on purpose and say yes to on wonder. And each of those, I mean, we could hash out. They're, they're very layered, but 
when we described what do we want our lives together to look like, yeah, this is what came up. This is what we both cared about for each mm-hmm. other and for ourselves. And it was this really cool process of making a decision to make a really big move from those values. And so far that has like really accomplished what we said we wanted. Yeah. Um, we just, they're on our wall on like a letter board. We keep them in front of us. So we just had to make another big mm-hmm. se- decision about houses that we wanted to you know, buy last week. And literally Tim went to the wall and took off the letter board and was like, which house helps us accomplish these three things that we mm. spent wanting. And so even Good. making decisions that way that, I mean, we didn't do, I think if you have the wherewithal to have that in a relationship right off the bat, awesome. Yeah. It took us a little bit of time and that was okay too. And, and knowing those might change down the road, but sure. for now it was identifying like, if we're going to build a life together, that's the thrill, right. Of being in a partnership mm-hmm. is like, you're with a person who you care most about in the world. And then you get to build a life with them. Uh, it really came from asking, what do we want that life to look like? How would you describe it? And then using those values as guideposts to make decisions, in, in a way that's life shaping, like yeah. the, the decisions around like what that we've just done that we're altering our lifestyle in a way that hopefully gets us closer to what we care about as a couple and, and life we do want to build. So that's been our process. And so far it's been excellent, but I think we're open to that looking different in every season, but yeah. it's been a really cool thing coming from this place of like at the baseline, we really care in this partner partnership that we are just to one another and then going from there, like, and then we can get specific about what, what it is that based on who we are and what we care about, we want to go for. Yeah. I love the intentionality of that because I think it's really easy to get caught up in just everyday life. I mean, we have this in America, especially this idea of you go to high school and you graduate and you go to college and you graduate and you meet your you know, partner and you get married and you get the job and have the kids and do the thing, but without any real intentionality around it. And that's, I think where people get stuck or they get in trouble and they grow apart and they don't have those conversations. This has such beautiful intentionality. And you know, that all those decisions are made from that space. They aren't just about, well, this job's a good promotion and it'll pay us more and make it easier to pay the mortgage. So we're going to go do this thing with no discussion on, how do you feel about the job? Do you like the job? Do you want to move to that place? I mean, and this has so much more longevity to it because it's just such a deeper, more well thought out process. So I love this so much. So thank you for, for sharing that. And three is a great number. Three is <laughs> plenty to work off of. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. This next one, you talked about it a little bit, and but it's growing out of your own expectations versus others. As a couple, you guys blew up other people's expectations of what you would do versus what your community thought you would do. So you've got practice in that already. Um, but also coming into it, you addressed this a little bit earlier of just embracing all the parts of each other, of the expectations that you have of each other as well. So talk about both of those things. Yeah, it's it's a careful conversation from how I'm trying to understand it and articulate it. Mm -hmm. Um, How I currently see it at least is reframing the value and necessity of expectations that um, it's easy to want to just rid of all external expectations. But the reality is we're very um, 
like communal creatures. Mm-hmm. We inherently build tribes, sometimes mm-hmm. by proximity, sometimes by myriad of other factors and variables. Um, so I think that growing out of that, or like the expectations conversations in a partnership is it's, I think it's important for me to realize for myself that I can't get rid of expectations. I can't just remove them and pretend like I don't abide by some sort of expectations for me. If you think about it from a tribalistic perspective, the value of a tribe having expectations on certain individuals sometimes was very helpful. It might've created um, and communicated standards. Hey, don't go into that part of the forest. We expect you not to do that. We'll, we'll, we'll resist you to have the opportunity to do that because that's where lions live and they might eat. And of course that is a barbaric way to think about that, but it still applies just in a different perspective these days where realistically tribes, whether we mean to or not, um, whether we want to be in them or not, um, really affect and are necessary and can be really good for us as far as personal and relational health. The caveat is more about like, just because you're in a tribe doesn't mean you have to stay there Mm. and your tribe's not always a proximity thing. So just because the people you're around and you spend the most time with, or might even have the most influence on you, that subgroup of people does not have to be your tribe. Mm. But it's very important to find a tribe. Maybe it's just through the internet, or maybe it's just one-off people here, there, and the other, however you get them. Yeah. When you re-tribalize um, with people who share the same values, and you remove the parts or the tribes that don't share the same values, yeah. Those expectations are actually quite necessary and help us have uh, accountability mm. and maybe even expose things that an individual that, not, that I might be missing about myself or in our partnership, we might be missing. Sure. And a really um, simple example is the influence of someone like Brene Brown, you know, mm-hmm. a podcast, a woman that w- we might never meet. I hope that'd be sweet. Hopefully. Yeah, that'd be really cool. But <laughs> I've asked her multiple times to be on the podcast. I'm just waiting for the day. So we're working on that. But <laughs> even if we were to never meet her, she's still part of our tribe and she's still holding expectations for us and holding standards for us. And there are expectations and standards that we gladly welcome. And sure. that we challenge and maybe they could be wrong, but we welcome those expectations of us um, versus tribes that maybe Sierra and I had formerly been a part of be it physically or not Mm -hmm. um, that we no longer subscribe to and differentiating what the source of your expectations are is the, is to me is the real. That's huge. Yeah. Because it's, it's just about having the proper source. And and I think that starting from that place really affects then our personal relationship. And I think the last thing I'd say on that is that the final conclusive thought I guess there from my experience is that, of course, we make personal decisions or we make we make specific decisions that only apply to us. And so in some senses, I could always have the expectations come in and then I could filter them and then I make my decision and whatever that would be. But I guess it's just the important re- integration relationship between the proper tribe um, and then the actual ability to adapt and absorb and then regurgitate my life. And yeah. I think that's how I view how to manage those expectations. And of course that it strongly impacts our partnership and relationship. 
Yeah. Where really just how can we find the right tribes and yeah. get rid of the ones that don't work and they're not healthy or whatever the reason. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah for me, it's the, to speak to expectations of others, it, it was an experience for us where early on in, in our relationship, we got a lot of advice and expectation um, of what healthy relationship was from a tribe that we were leaving essentially. And so we had to get really clear on what we actually cared about and believed in to know what worked for us and what didn't. Because I think if you do lose sight of what you personally care about and believe in, then letting others' expectations fill that void will be a lot easier. Yeah. Um, Versus a lot of times we found people are giving advice that was great for them, but didn't work for us. And so one of the, I mean, like the third day into our relationship, we had somebody sit us down and say, you shouldn't do this. And we, it forced us to actually immediately afterwards go on a walk and be like, wait a second, what do we actually think about this? Should we not do this? What do we actually care about? And recognize like, actually we don't subscribe to that. So we don't need to not do that because this is what we care about. And, and that was a really helpful, beautiful thing, but it's just getting clear on what you do care about personally, because otherwise then expectations of others are easy to fill that void. Yeah. Um, and then I think for ourselves internally, a thing that was helpful for me in thinking about making sure our expectations of each other were fair and communicated, um, was actually a book, I might've mentioned it before, but emotionally healthy spirituality. And he talks about in there that Um, if an expectation isn't communicated, it can't be an expectation. It's only a hope. And so recognizing for myself that early on in our relationship, I had probably a lot of what I now see as hopes of how Tim would respond or do or whatever relationship, but they were uncommunicated. And so that's not fair. Um, I, it can't be an expectation then. And so I think internally it was a lot of identifying expectations that we did have and communicating them. And only then once they're communicated and agreed upon, can they actually be an expectation versus a hope or whatever else um, that was really helpful internally, I think early on. Well, and also helpful when dealing with, uh, you know, family dynamics, you know, if we as parents or Lee, you know, or siblings have expectations you know, navigating that as well and healthy communication, what's the source? And also in regards to, you know, I love what you said about if it's not something that's been communicated, it's not an expectation, it's a hope. I think that's really smart. You know, that's a great way to put that. But also, you know, because I think what can be hard with the expectations when it comes to those, you know, the parents and aunts and sisters and brothers and stuff is that, well, you don't want to hurt their feelings and you don't want them to feel bad, blah, 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 you know, so how do we do this in a way that's empathetic and kind, but we're not, we just, we aren't, that just doesn't line up with who we are and we're not going to meet that expectation. Okay. And you, you guys said that really kind of talked about this earlier. And I loved what Sierra said specifically, but this one is accepting the layered aspects of ourselves. And I loved your statement about I love all the Tims that have been, that are, and that will be, you know, and I think that really describes this layers piece as well, too. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, it's accepting 
in our experience in our relationship, it's not only accepting the layers of the other, but it's accepting the layer of yourself. The layers of yourself yeah. is equally as important. Um, yeah. Because I think in in life, but especially in the most intimate relationship you're going to have, you know, the good, the bad, the hard, and the beautiful all exist mm-hmm. at the same time. And that's true for interpersonal growth. That's true for yourself. That's true yeah. for your partner and your relationships. So I think it's recognizing that and then asking how to move forward with it. And there was a specific moment we were actually in Ireland for honeymoon um, that I think this like captures this, what I had to learn in this area well, which was we were actually on this beautiful hike in just North of Dublin on the coast. And it was like the most beautiful thing we had seen up to that point. And at the same time, we're in confrontation with one another on this hike about I don't even fully remember anymore what it was, but it it was a, it was a significant deal. It was like, it wasn't just nothing. If we were talking about, I think preferences and values and things like that. And my tendency previously had been that if no matter like we're on this beautiful hike, but because we're arguing right now, it's bad. It's ruined. The day's done. It's been a bad day. Um, It was a bad experience. And there's, it's just pack it in, go home starting in tomorrow. And I remember we paused, I think we sat on a bench or something and we're still in the midst of this hard conversation and also looking at the most beautiful things we've ever seen together. And in the midst of the hard conversation, trying to learn more about each other and understand each other and care about each other more. Yeah. And it was this realization for me that the, the moment that I, you have any kind of experience like that, or I, you know, we get in an argument, I recognize something in myself I don't like. Um, it's not good, it's not bad, it just is. Mm-hmm. And then it's asking how we move forward with it. That's what matters. And yeah, so yeah. it's this idea of like embracing the layers looks to me like and accepting layers in myself and one another and Tim and and our relationship is saying none of it's good or bad. It just is, but how you move forward with it is what matters. And it's all going to exist at the same time. The good, the hard, the brutal, the beautiful, it's all going to happen at once. That's going to be life together. Um, and so this, this is the whole, this is the whole point. It's to experience all that together. And then asking yourself, how do you move forward with the hard things? That's what matters. Not that they, they came up, they're not good or bad. They, they just are. Um, but now what do you do with them? And I think at, at the core, maybe it's just our philosophical perspective, but it's like, we believe that each other are really deep, deep, deep down, really good. Mm -hmm. And so even the idea of layers is that sometimes good layers come lessons learned and maturity. And sometimes layers come that might make myself jaded or yourself jaded or whoever, you know, layers are, can be a myriad of things as far as their quality, good, bad, and other, but deep, deep down, it's, I find it to be important. And I think we do a good job of just trusting that at your most bottom inside layer is a really good, truly good person. Yeah. And operating from that assumption is is really helpful because then when a layer comes up that maybe feels crazy or weird or strange or uncomfortable, understanding that that layer is still holding something that is inherently preciously good. Yeah. I love that. I love, I love that what you talked about the the being is, because I think we tend to sometimes try to make things 
good, bad, right, wrong, positive, negative. We do this a lot around our feelings, our emotions. And it's like, no, these are, these are things that we feel and then we, that happen and operate. They're not, why are we putting this good, bad, positive, negative thing on it? Because it's all happening. It doesn't have to be good, bad, positive, negative. It's what it is. And it, what becomes good, bad, positive, negative is how you handle it in the moment and what you do with it and what you learn from it. So I love that, that thought process. That's really, really good. All right. Cultivating healthy relationships with others. And really, I would, you know, all these things we've already talked about really build into that. If you, if you apply these things um, that we've already been talking about, then you're much more likely to be able to cultivate those healthy relationships, but it doesn't mean it's easy. Relationships are complicated. And especially when you're coming together again, as a couple, different dynamics, different families, different ways of doing things, Tim has found out very early on and with a yearly reminder, we love Christmas <laughs> in this family. And he has not been able to shed us for a Christmas yet. <laughs> and so, you know, so that's, that's a, you know, that's a, a relationship thing. And, you know, we want, and we love, love, love him so much that probably feels a little suffocating sometimes. So, you know, so having those conversations of like, all right, Crooks, you're great, but I got to get away for a while because you all are a lot. And I've done as much Christmas tree shopping today as I can possibly do. So I, I'm talking, I'm making light of it, but honestly talk about that because you know, that's, that can be a big thing coming together as a new couple. First off, I have been formally very Grinch like I have not been a Christmas person, but please let the record, the interweb record show that I'm very much a Christmas enthusiast now. <laughs> that is a deep um, truth that I live out as a result of the Crick clan. <laughs> so it is a joy to have Christmas tree conversations. <laughs> we already had one and it was October. So I'm, <laughs> I'm doing real good over here on Christmas <laughs> and I'm happy to have continued cultivating healthy relationships with Christmas. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I think we, were, we when we thought about this question and topic, it, Sierra said, oh, I'm taking you say it because this is your idea. So I just wanted to point out the Christmas thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we talked about it, thank you. We talked about the idea of that cultivating healthy relationships with others starts with cultivating a healthy relationship with yourself. And so oh, yeah. um, I think square one, it's like we could really just pack it up and send it home after that. Right. Um, but a lot of it is the idea of really making sure that you have a healthy relationship with yourself. Cause I don't think you, you can have healthy relationships with others. If there's not something there of like how, yeah, you caring for and, and interacting with yourself in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, so I think that's square one. And then I think the, the other thing that we've worked really, really hard on in this, um, area is because we both definitely, I think had worked really hard to know ourselves coming in. Mm -hmm. Um, but then when coming together, it was the idea of being clear to ourselves and the other whenever, whenever possible is like such a kind thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so working really hard to communicate well and often and fairly and kindly, um, mm -hmm. has been really monumental for us, I think, in cultivating healthy relationships with each other and then externally. And then sure. like, I mean, I think we had the conversation for this year of like, Hey, you're coming for Christmas. 
How long can you stay? It's like really honestly past five days, it really throws us out of a rhythm. So how does five days sound to say, sound to everybody, you know, and, yeah. and being here there and yeah. things like that. But I think it's been, especially in conflict, trying to fight really hard and slow ourselves down, um, to communicate fairly and kindly and often, um, in a way that like we have, we care about each other and, um, so to be kind to one another, the easiest way to do that is communicate really well and really clearly. Um, so I think that's been the biggest thing for us and kind of was our marker of knowing like, okay, we, when we decided to get married, we're never going to be able to predict everything at all. Like life is going to throw us things that we cannot even dream of. However, what we can do and what we have proven to each other and to ourselves is we can communicate really, really well um, and really clearly and really kindly. And so if that's true, I think we can navigate whatever does come in preparedness that we can't prepare for now, but if we can communicate really well now, I think we can navigate what it does throughout us. And that's proven true so far. Um, I think for, in our relationship. So that's, that's going to serve you well and would have saved your dad and I a lot of bumps. If we had that language earlier, not that the bumps wouldn't have happened, mm-hmm. but we could have minimized the impact had we had that. And yeah, I think that's really, you know, what it's about is just, you know, and you guys do that so well, you know, the talking in the I, I statements and the story I'm telling myself instead of the, you should, and you didn't, and you couldn't. And, you know, it's, it makes so much difference. The delivery it's all, you know, is so, and, and not being obsessed with being right and in losing kind of that. Okay. How can we get to this place together? And, and how you say that goes a long way and in doing that. All right. What are some practices you use to process your emotions in healthy ways? You just mentioned one of them for sure, but a really practical tool, you know, in the language more like that, I would, I kind of translate is like, as I process this information, how am I perceiving it? Like what, and what did you mean by it? Where the kind of the tool you just said, the story I'm telling myself is, and, you know, coming to the table with just different experiences when anything happens to me, there's always a difference between what actually happened and how I perceived it happening. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but to be cognizant of the difference there that Mm -hmm. when in a partnership in our relationship, if I were to act a certain way or do a certain behavior that however Sierra would perceive it or vice versa, if Sierra behaves a certain way and then how I process that information, those are two different things. So if I can differentiate those and be, um, conscientious of her her behavior um, that is probably great and good and completely reasonable, but for whatever reason, it strikes me a different way. It's my responsibility to ask myself that question almost ongoingly, not obsessively, but just in good, good measure that when information comes into my, my wherewithal, recognizing that what the information is and then how am I perceiving it? You know, in other words, like the story I'm telling myself is when that happened, Something, 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 something. Yeah. And I think at the end of it, finding in in this partnership that it really, I don't think I could think of a time where I, that Sears acted maliciously to me. It's, if there's ever been a conflict point, it's just been a clear and away misunderstanding that Mm -hmm. something be it a trigger or just a different expectation. Yeah. If Sierra were to do something that makes complete sense and probably might even be the contextually right thing to do. But if it would, if it upsets me or frustrates me, it's making sure not to assume it's malicious, but ask like, oh wow, when that happened, the story I'm telling myself is, or 
when, when that happened, I'm perceiving that to mean blank. Is that true? What did you mean? I'm upset by it. Can I talk, can I figure out and tell you why I'm upset by it? So just those key introspective questions, however you want to phrase it and word it, that makes sense to you. I think in our partnership has, has been really healthy um, and really helpful that just differentiating between what happened and how I'm perceiving it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, to add on to that for me, for myself, it's even in the midst of uh, like feeling strong emotions, what, whether it be together in conflict or in a discussion or elsewhere that being able to ask for a pause and ask, what am I feeling? Like literally just, there's been times where I'm like, can we pause? Can I walk away? Can I literally just go write down what I'm feeling? Um, and asking why and using the story I'm telling myself language to help move forward from that. Cause there's sometimes where we might be in a conversation and there's times where it's like you are naturally our egos and our lizard brains are meant to protect us. And so something gets said and we're, I'm automatically in defense mode and I'm angry and I'm defensive. Um, and being able to step away and say like ego, thank you. I know you're trying to protect me. And this has worked in the past. You've, you've protected me like this in the past, but I don't actually need that here. So what, what am I feeling? Is it scared? Is it afraid, like mad, whatever? Why am I feeling it? And then I think the other thing that we've taken from Robin Kristen Bell, actually, that's been super helpful that they actually have a book that is probably a great resource that we can mention in the show notes is the phrase of, I know that Tim is for me. Mm-hmm. And coming back to that, when yeah. there's moments that I feel defensive or, and you, this only, you know, there's a caveat that like, you cannot necessarily do this with everyone, but in our partnership, I, I feel safe enough to do this always with Tim that I know he's always for me. He's always in my corner. Um, so when my protective devices do come up telling me to defend, um, it's saying like that, that's okay. This is Tim. We're safe with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's for me. Uh, so we can come down from that. Uh, so I think those are the helpful tools I would just add on besides the story yeah. I'm telling myself it has been like, seriously, pause, write down what your emotions are right now and ask why. And then the reminding myself and almost my lizard defense brain, like this person is for me. Mm -hmm. So now like, how do we direct our efforts toward the issue rather than defending ourselves from one another? Cause that's not necessary here. Yeah. On the flip side too, is of course it applies to conflict or tension points, but it also kind of applies to the, whatever an opposite or a different direction would be that, you know, the idea of like feeling empowered, the feel empowered. Um, I'm going to make sure I say this right. Finding empowerment and embracing layers mm-hmm. is the idea going back to the curiosity style. Like, I wonder why, you know, yeah. and you could ask that question. I wonder why if, it, if I'm in conflict and I do in Sierra, if I do something silly or weird or perceived that way, Sierra would say, I wonder why, or vice versa. I wonder why Sierra did that. Mm-hmm. And that is such an honest look, but then at the same time, and I think the more fun part is not all, not conflict a lot. And it's not a lot of tension that the fun part of, you know, embracing the layers and finding the empowerment is, huh, that's really cool. that Sarah did that. I wonder why she did that. I'm really curious. And I want to like love that part of her or love that experience of her more. I'm really curious why I'm going to go actually find out and ask, yeah. but just having a demeanor of, I wonder why is such a powerful tool because it, the curiosity always 
moves you towards actually seeing it how it is. Yeah. And yes, conflict, but there's so many amazing things about Sierra that I could, I will spend a lifetime asking, I wonder why she does that mm-hmm. because it's pretty darn cool. So I think that it kind of goes both ways that it's, it, it certainly applies to conflict and tension. And probably it's where we need it the, you know, humans need it the most is we get sure. some like serious thing, like lizard brainy about it, but it's also such a powerful tool to just get excited and stoked and be curious about just how much you love that person finding out why. Yeah. I love that. I love that curiosity piece. Um, and just you talking about the processing and perceiving it because so many times things have happened in previous relationships or previous scenarios. That that's really the thing that's triggering us. And so slowing down long enough, it's like, it's not actually him or her or that thing, but this, it, but this, it's brought up this similar emotion and just having that conversation with yourself. Thank you. So again, thank you so much. You served me well, but this isn't that person. I mean, I know early on dad and I had to have those conversations a lot and he was really great about saying, I'm not him, whoever that person was, whether it was my dad or a former boyfriend or whatever it was, I'm not him. I will not do that. And just that constant remembering of we're for each other. We're inherently good. And so if I can operate from that standpoint, every time this person loves me unconditionally. So let's get to the bottom of what's, you know, what's triggering this in me and, and how much or how little this actually has to do with this situation. You know, so, and you guys have already have such great language for that. And that's, that's a, such a huge difference maker. Um, and asking for a pause too. I wish that I had adopted that so many years ago because it changes the conversations when you can just step back and take time and take a breath and just not just operate from a reactive standpoint, but from actually understanding what it is. It's got, you know, when you, sometimes you get start feeling fired up and it's like, where is this coming from? And, um, and not feeling that immediacy, like we have to solve this right now, which, um, which is a a very healthy. And I know that because I am the immediacy person. (laughs) I've gotten to learn that. All right. We are down to our rapid fire. So first of all, name five activities that nourish you together as a couple. Number one is being outside, adventuring, road tripping, that kind of stuff. Two, (laughs) foods and coffee places. Three, playing games together, specifically nerds and bananagrams. And food and coffee. Know everybody at it. (laughs) <laughs> we've met our matches and some people but <laughs> um number four was um dreaming and reflecting together mm-hmm. just getting to talk about all the things that could be and all yeah. the things that have been and all the things that are yeah number five um seeing each other independently thrive and go after what they want so i think like when I come home from work and I'm stoked on what I did that day or Tim roasts a new coffee and is so excited about it seeing each other uh, like having each other come home and tell one another about that experience is really nourishing for both of us. Okay. So this is a total side note, but you guys will appreciate this. So Tim's going to be roasting again and no one is excited, more excited about that than Brady Crook, because <laughs> as much as we, we've been buying coffee from Monmouth, Monmouth, we love you. Please don't take this the wrong way. If you're all out there listening, but he, he's drinking his coffee in the morning. He's like, so what do you think of this Monmouth coffee? I'm like, it's, it's, it's fine. It's good. I like Monmouth. He goes, not as good as Tim's. <laughs> Such a sad little man. <laughs> so, so when we come at Christmas, 
to bring another suitcase to take all the coffee that you're roasting at the new place home. I love that. <laughs> all right. So I had to mention that because I was like, oh yeah, I have to tell him about this. Okay. Five words on how you want to feel the next six months. Number one is rejuvenated. Two is grounded. Three is positively challenged. Four is feeling lighter. Mm. And five is creative. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, this was as good or better as I knew it would be. So many great nuggets in this um, audience. Um, don't worry, all of these sources that we referenced will be um, in the sources notes. We'll have some great information in the show notes. So you'll be able to recapture this, this information. Thank you, you two. I love you so much. And I'm so appreciative of the time that you took with us today. Um, so um, podcast audience, we are going to continue this relationship series and you are going to get to meet my ride or die friends next week. So strap it on. There's going to be some, uh, some, a lot of laughter and, and stories coming your way. Thanks so much, Tim and Sierra and podcast audience. Have a great week. You're my hallelujah. Yes, you are. You're my